To make a donation, visit biblicallycorrectpodcast.org slash donate. And if you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, and subscribe. Thank you for your support. Where is the biblical place to have church? Welcome to the Biblically Correct Podcast. Shalom, y'all. This is the Biblically Correct Podcast, teaching biblical correctness in a biblically incorrect world. My name is Kevin Jeffrey. I'm a Jewish follower of the Messiah Yeshua, Jesus, and I love teaching the scriptures. Most of us have a pretty fixed idea in our minds about church, what it is, who goes there, and where it takes place. But what if that building you go to once or twice a week not only isn't church, but isn't prescribed anywhere in the Bible? What if the biblical concept of church is far more simple and natural than that? Today, I'll be building on several previous episodes about the concept of church, or what might be better understood by its literal translation of the called forth. So far, we've learned that the called forth is never a place, like a church building or a congregational facility or synagogue, but is always the people. We are the called forth. And as the body of Messiah, we operate correctly only when all the members work together in their God-given functions for the common good. In this episode, then, we'll be looking to the scriptures to help us answer the question, where is the called forth? Where does the called forth meet together? Where does the called forth exist? And how can the places where the called forth gathers better reflect the values and patterns of scripture? Now, in Hebrews 10.25, despite its misuse by some as a command to, quote, go to church, it does, in fact, exhort us to not forsake the gathering of ourselves together. And while the congregating of believers in a special building for worship services has essentially come to be known today as church, the scriptures teach us that the gathering itself isn't church, but that gathering together is an integral part of of being the church, of being the called forth. Not just meeting together as individuals sharing the same space, participating in the same activity, literally staring in the same direction, but functioning as the body of Messiah together interactively. Because all the members of Yeshua's body, as we've previously seen, rely upon and are interconnected with one another, whether we actually think and act that way or not. So while we're all always part of the called forth, even when we're not assembled, we're not the called forth individually. According to the scriptures, the called forth exists in gatherings and communities. Let's take a look at those by surveying a good-sized list of scriptures to first determine the number of believers that the scriptures variously identify as the called forth. We'll start small. First, the called forth exists in a gathering of possibly as little as five people. Now, I admit this number is totally contrived, but you'll see where I get it in just a minute. In Matthew 18, Yeshua gives instructions for how to handle a brother who's in sin. And as things escalate, he tells us that the one who's in sin needs to be confronted by two or three people. And as an encouragement to do this, Yeshua says in verse 20 that he is there with them where there are two or three gathered together in his name. What happens next when the brother still won't listen to correction is found in verse 17 
where the master says, and if he, the brother who's in sin, does not hear them, the two or three confronting him, then say it to the called forth. And if he also does not hear the called forth, then let him be to you as the goy foreigner and the tax gatherer. In other words, if the brother won't listen to his two or three friends, and he also won't listen to the whole community of the called forth, then he's to be treated as an unbeliever. So the called forth here is the number of believers in that community in excess of those two or three who confronted the brother plus the brother himself. So that's three plus one, which makes four, making the possible minimum number of the called forth five. Now, I know it seems extremely unlikely that Yeshua is saying here to go tell the one other person around who wasn't involved in the confrontation. Common sense says that the number is likely to be more than five, maybe at least 10 or 12, maybe more. My point is that the smallest number of the called forth may not be very big at all, especially when we consider where the believers would often meet, as we're about to see shortly. Now, I know that was a little bit mathy, but from here, things get a lot more obvious. Beyond that small number, possibly of at least five then, the scriptures also say that the called forth exists in local groups of undetermined size. We see this in places like Philippians 4.15, 3 John, and in 1 Timothy 5.16, where Paul says, If any believing woman has dependent widows, let her assist them, and let not the called forth be burdened, so that they may assist those who are really widows. So there's no indication here of how large or how small this local group of the called forth actually is, only that it's large enough to care for multiple widows. After this, we finally start getting a clue concerning size, at least through geography. And regardless of whether that number is large or small, the called forth can refer to all the believers of a given city. We see this with references like the called forth in Jerusalem, or the called forth of God that is in Corinth, or the called forth of the Laodiceans. So depending on the size of the city and the number of believers in that city, now the called forth is starting to refer to a sizable number of people. Then the called forth gets even bigger, referring to the believers in a large region that encompasses multiple cities or provinces. In Acts 9.31, for example, the called forth refers to one huge group, the called forth throughout all Yehuda and the Galil and Shomron. So all those believers together are identified with the singular called forth. And finally, within those cities or provinces or even large regions, the called forth is also referred to as existing in multiple communities. In the Greek, the word for called forth in these instances is simply the plural form, which the MGLT translates as called forth communities. We see this in places like Galatians chapter 1, verses 2 and 22, and also in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 19, where Paul says, And concerning the money collection, that is for the Kodoshim, as I directed to the called forth communities of Galatia, so also should you do. The called forth communities of Asia greet you. So the called forth then exists in many different sizes and locales. We can possibly be as small as a group of five, 
and we are as large as the span of the known world and every point in between. Though the call forth looks entirely different from our perspective at the micro level versus the macro, no matter what part of the body we can see at any given time, regardless of how it's described, it's still one single unified organism. And yet, despite this diversity of description, one thing that we never see the scriptures describe, a concept that's completely foreign to God's word, is the called forth that is in the cathedral, or in the auditorium, or in the building that holds a hundred, or a thousand, or a hundred thousand souls. Yet this is what church has become today, a place for gathering. So if this isn't one of scripture's depictions of the called forth, then where did the concept of the congregational gathering hall come from? Well, it came from the synagogue. While the Christian church service and building has always been considered by Christians to be a replacement for or fulfillment of Israel's temple with its priesthood or priestly class, its substitutionary altars, simulated sacrifices, and holy attributes assigned to the building or the space itself, the real heritage of the church building can be traced to the Jewish synagogue, which was itself a substitute for the temple. The synagogue, the word actually comes from Greek, meaning gathering or assembly, most likely developed among the Jewish people while they were in exile in Babylon. They did this under the auspices of trying to maintain a semblance of the temple service and to preserve the Jewish way of life while in dispersion. But when the people of Israel returned from exile and rebuilt Jerusalem, they brought the Babylonian-influenced synagogue model back with them. And though meeting in and building synagogues was never commanded by God, they continued to coexist alongside the temple and eventually outlived it. The experience of the called forth, however, was different especially considering how the message of Yeshua spread not only beyond Jerusalem and Judea, but to the Gentiles of the surrounding nations. Because while the synagogue remained part of the Jewish believers' cultural practice until they were no longer welcome, and both Jews and Gentiles would sometimes hear the good news proclaimed there for the very first time, for the called forth in Jerusalem from shortly after Yeshua's resurrection and ascension They continued daily with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. Acts chapter 2, verse 46. This is where the called forth originally and primarily met, not in the synagogue or in church buildings, but in each other's homes. In Acts chapter 8, for example, this is where we find the called forth during the massive persecution of the believers by Paul, Shaul, in Jerusalem. In verse 3, it says that Shaul was ravaging the called forth, entering into every house and dragging off both men and women, giving them up to prison. In 1 Corinthians 16, 19, Paul wrote to them saying that Aquila and Prisca, along with the called forth in their house, also greet you much in the master. And again, in Colossians 4.15, greet those brothers in Laodicea and also Nymphos and the called forth in her house. And again, in Philemon 1.1 and 2, to Philemon, our beloved and fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister, 
and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the called forth in your house. This was the biblical norm and pattern for the generation of the called forth who spread the message of Yeshua throughout the world. They existed and gathered not in large auditoriums, rather their groups were small enough to fit inside a home. Now understand, they weren't meeting in houses because there were only a few of them, and just until they could raise enough money for a building fund. They also weren't meeting there just to avoid public scrutiny, because they were meeting in homes when there were already tens of thousands just of Jewish believers, not to mention all the disciples that were being made among the nations for at least a couple of decades. And even Paul says in Acts 20.20 that he taught both publicly and house to house. So they met in homes because at the local level, this was where they were the called forth. This was where they met, not for worship services, but to build up one another and where unbelievers would come in and hear the message of Yeshua and be saved. Only gradually over time, after the recorded history of Scripture, did the believers move away from homes and begin to meet in converted houses and build larger buildings. And while they were in the homes, in groups of manageable size, the believers could live out that face-to-face, interactive ministry to one another, and the building up of the body for the common good. Where the called forth was designed to gather was house to house. This is why today, even in the largest of churches, they still strive to maintain a small group home-based ministry. Because deep down and from the word, they know that it's in homes where believers truly grow and grow together. Today, church or congregational life revolves around the weekly service, while small home groups are considered optional and supplementary. The problem is, that's backwards. Most believers don't realize it's supposed to be the other way around. Now, don't misunderstand me. There's no problem with large groups of believers coming together for communal praise, worship, and teaching. We see this modeled in the scriptures too. But going to a church building every week isn't like going to the temple. There's nothing uniquely holy about a church building or synagogue. It's not the Lord's house, and it's not specially inhabited by God. Of course, modern innovations would eventually make it possible to facilitate larger and larger gatherings of believers, citywide gatherings. But that was never a reason to dump the biblical model of gathering in homes as the central, natural, everyday place for the building of the body, thinking it was somehow insufficient and unnecessary for the proper functioning of the called forth. And I believe this is a major reason why we see such a weak body of Messiah today. We got away from the ordinary in pursuit of the extraordinary. We replaced the organic with the man-made. We institutionalized the called forth, and we called it church. For my part, I long to see a day when it's the public worship service that's seen as optional, relatively speaking, and the home gathering as essential. I want to see church buildings and messianic synagogues to no longer be treated as houses of worship, 
but community centers, hubs that serve multiple called forth communities for various activities and as the public face of our faith, yet ultimately non-essential. Because for the body of Messiah today, everything around us is screaming that we're long overdue for strengthening and health and vitality and unity, the kind that can only come from being the called forth in someone's house. Where the called forth is, or rather where we're supposed to be, directly affects who we are in Messiah and how we function together as a body. While we exist as the called forth everywhere, from worldwide down to the smallest small group, if we're not building each other up, if we're only experiencing Yeshua independently, even in a corporate setting, then we're not who we're supposed to be either individually or collectively. To challenge the concept of who the called forth is and what we're supposed to be requires that we also reevaluate where we exist and gather together. For most of us who even consider the idea of meeting in homes as essential, as immeasurably more important than corporate worship and teaching, is revolutionary and transformative, but more than that, biblical. Seeing a purposeful, God-focused home gathering as fundamental not only restores the biblical context of how those who are first in Yeshua spread the word, but recovers a crucial and long-lost aspect for our strengthening and identity as the called forth of God. Home gatherings, if we'll let them, won't allow us to hide our flaws and sins among throngs of worshipers, but will bring them to the surface so that we can then be challenged, changed, and made effective in our service to Yeshua. Huge corporate praise and worship is awesome. Home Bible studies are great. Life groups and prayer groups are wonderful. But what we really need is a radical redefinition of where the called forth is meant to exist and gather so that we can rediscover who we truly are and become the followers of Messiah we were meant to be. I'll be describing in a later episode what I think these home gatherings might look like based on the scriptures. But for now, I'll just leave you with this. In Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47, it says, Also, continuing daily with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were sharing of food in rejoicing and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day, the master was adding together those being saved. The body of Messiah is supposed to be simple and natural, not complex and contrived. Let's work to no longer be a body dismembered, but to exist in communities and gatherings where the called forth is truly alive. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Biblically Correct Podcast. If you like this episode and want to see us make more, then we need your help. Visit our website at biblicallycorrectpodcast.org to support the work of Perfect Word Ministries and MJMI through your much-needed donations. And of course, don't forget to rate, review, share, follow, or subscribe to the podcast to receive notifications whenever a new episode is posted. If you have any questions about this teaching, or if there are any other topics you'd like to see me cover, shoot me an email 
at kevin at perfectword.org. That's kevin at perfectword.org. Until next time, remember that every scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for refuting, for setting a right, and for instruction that is in righteousness, so that the man of God may be fully equipped, having been completed for every good act. Shalom.